0: Begins at Calvary, there my Savior died, he took my place and by his grace came with me to abide, all I need for living is mine by just believing, life begins at Calvary, life that never
1: ends. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. We can grieve the Spirit of God. You know, friend, I believe that when we, as God's people, sin, we grieve Him. In Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, we're told, quench not the Spirit. You and I can't afford to walk out of fellowship with God. When you and I fail, it doesn't affect His love doesn't affect his affection and devotion for us, but it does break our fellowship with him. I believe it grieves the heart of the Lord, even though he knows our frailty. Nevertheless, it must grieve his heart when we as Christians sin. God has made provision to prevent you sinning, and he's made provision when you do sin to be cleansed. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has made provision, full provision for you and for me to live daily in fellowship with Him, a life of walking in the Spirit, a life that is Spirit-filled, a life of intimate fellowship with God.
2: Welcome to The Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever.
0: In speaking of the conditions for being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is the Christian's responsibility to be filled continually and consistently. With this seventh and last lesson on the filling of the Spirit, we hear of a life lived by the Spirit of God. Dr. Mitchell states, when a Christian is walking in fellowship with God, that person is Spirit-filled. So, what is it that could break that fellowship with God? Well, it is sin. Dr. Mitchell will explore this subject and the relationship of the Christian to sin in this study. So, what happens when a Christian sins while the world is watching? What happens when Satan sees a Christian sinning? How does one's sin affect other believers? And does sin affect oneself? How is God affected? What does God do when a Christian sins? Well, Dr. Mitchell addresses these questions in this lesson on The Unchanging Word, Bible Broadcast.
1: Thank you. Again, we come to our studies on the life in the Spirit. The wonderful privilege of every born-again Christian, one who really puts their trust in the Savior, whether you're a newborn babe in Christ or not, whether you're a mature man who's been 50 years on the way but never been taught, the joy that you and I can have of living a life that's absolutely pleasing to God. Life lived by the Spirit of God who indwells us. We've been discussing this, and we were discussing in our last lessons the conditions to be Spirit-filled, a life that's continually filled. And may I again say, my friend, this is an obligation. But God expects us. He expects us to be spirit-filled in daily, daily responsibility. Not an option, not an option, but something that is absolutely dependent upon you. You can live today for the glory of God, or you need not live to the glory of God, or you would not or do not live to the glory of God. God has put down the certain conditions whereby you and I can be filled with the Spirit of God. As some people say, well, it's very easy. All you have to do is to get down and ask the Lord, Lord, fill me. Take it by faith you are filled. I don't find that in the Bible. I think there are real conditions whereby a believer can be live a consistent, spiritual life. This is what we want. We want men and women today in our world, in this country, in our churches, who live a consistent spiritual life. And we were saying that the first one is to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. That's what we've been dealing with in our last lessons. It talks about human cooperation with God. I'm reminded of that, of those passages in the book of Acts where Peter said it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. Human cooperation with the Spirit of God in the performance of the purpose and plan of God for the earth. The gathering out of people for his name called the church. Now, some time ago in our studies, we were declaring to be Spirit-filled meant walking in fellowship with God. It meant an endument of power it meant a life of yielding as to God. And I made the statement and I repeat it. When a Christian is walking in fellowship with God, that person is spirit filled. Now, you can be filled yesterday and not today. And if fellowship with God is a, a, a condition of being spirit filled, then sin can break that fellowship. So, if I want to live a consistent spiritual life, there must be the putting away and confessing of every known sin. You see, friend, sin breaks our fellowship with God. Certainly, if I'm out of fellowship with God, I'm not spirit-filled. And I, by the way, I don't care what experiences you may have at that time. But if you are not in fellowship with God, you're not Spirit-filled. That's very obvious. And sin, failures, break that fellowship. And please be real about this, will you? Let's not minimize sin. I remember talking to a man one day and he said, well, Mitchell, he said, I don't sin anymore. Well, what do you do? I just make mistakes. What is sin? That's called sin. And don't play with it, don't dabble with it, don't minimize it. When you minimize sin, my friend, you minimize the complete work of Christ Jesus. You minimize the value of the blood of Christ. And I say that sin breaks fellowship with God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. We can grieve the Spirit of God. We can grieve those we love. And we can grieve the Spirit of God. Remember that passage. In fact, he, uh, he gives to us certain, certain things concerning this question and that which, which grieves the Spirit of God when he said, that, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Let him that stole, don't steal any more. Let him that lies, quit lying. He get lose his temper, get rid of it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth that which is good, and so on. Grieve not. These things grieve the Spirit of God. Let's folly for a man to say, I'm spirit-filled, or I have an experience that somebody else hasn't had, and his life is full of what? bitterness, mad, anger, clamor, evil speaking, talks against other Christians. Oh, one could go on. Things that people do, petty things. Don't talk about being spirit filled, my friend, unless Christ is the very center of your life, of all that you are. You can grieve the Spirit of God. In Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, we're told, quench not the Spirit. That is, oftentimes we believers hinder the Spirit in its operation especially by our own self-will. We are to have God's will as the daily rule of our lives. But oftentimes we want our own way. We thwart the Spirit of God. You can't put him out of your life. He's come to indwell, to abide forever. And this idea of quench not means to put him out. is not so, not in the sense of the, of the Spirit of God leaving the believer. You remember it was the Corinthian church that was taught the truth of the indwelling spirit. And yet they were carnal Christians. Did you ever sit down sometime with a sheet of paper and write down what what happens when you, as a child of God, sin? You ever think of it? I did that one time. I just sat down with a sheet of paper and I was meditating upon these various things, the things that break our fellowship with God, the things that grieve the Spirit of God. And then what happens when I, as a Christian, sin? What's the effect upon the world, for example? Well, the world, of course, takes advantage of it. The world says, well, you know better than the rest of us. The world takes great delight when a Christian sins. You see, when a Christian sins, it stops your testimony to the world. The worldling says, I don't want your Christianity. If that's what it is to be a Christian, I don't want it. Now, I know the world expects perfection from Christians. I know that. I'm not unaware of the fact that the world thinks you should never fail in anything. But be that as it may, sometimes our very lives affect the world when we sin, hinders the gospel, brings disgrace on the name of the Savior just like you have about the Jewish people in Romans chapter 2. The very name of God was blasphemed among the Gentiles because of the acts of the Jews. I'm afraid so often of Christians. I've had mentioned to me, uh, speaking of certain ones, if that's Christianity, I don't want it. Well, friend, that was not Christianity. That was a Christian living in self-will, living in the desires of the flesh. So when a Christian sins, not only is his fellowship broken, but he gives the world the opportunity of taking advantage of dishonoring the name of Christ. Do you ever think of what happens to Satan when you and I sin? Uh, he just gloats over that. And how quick is Satan is to come to you and say, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't do that if you were really a Christian. And Satan takes advantage of you. He fills your life with doubts. How many Christians are full of doubts? And Satan would seek to plant those doubts in your mind when you fail the Lord. It may be a very small thing, it might be a great thing, and you you don't know why you did it, but you did it. You said the wrong thing, you lied possibly, or you did something you shouldn't have done, and Satan is very quick to say to you, ha, if you were a child of God, if you were a Christian, if you were saved, you wouldn't begin to do a thing like what you're doing. So He flays you with doubt. By the way, may I say, that's a good idea to know that the unsaved are never flayed with doubt. It's the Christian that is flayed with doubt. The unsaved man has nothing to doubt. But believe me, it's true that when a Christian sins, it gives the world the opportunity of dishonoring the name of Christ and and give Satan the opportunity of flaying you and me with doubt. And remember, Satan's a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. You ever think of what it means to other Christians when you sin? Paul could say, if I eat meat and it offends my brother, I'm not going to eat meat as long as the world stands. He didn't want to do anything that would give offense to his brothers to his brethren. And when you and I fail God, in fact, the more testimony you have, uh, the, the greater you are in your Christian life, all the blessings of your life and the strength of that life, of that testimony, it goes behind the failure, just like Peter in the book of Galatians chapter 2. Peter, you remember, acted the hypocrite. He knew better. And he drew away even Barnabas. Oh, when we Christians sin, we affect other believers. We cause young believers to stumble. We affect other believers in their lives. We grieve not only the Spirit of God, but we grieve other believers. I I just suggest this in passing. No man, is it Romans 14, which says no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. And whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. But for our lives, what are they doing? Oh, listen, when you and I as Christians sin, not only is our fellowship with God broken, but we affect other believers, especially young believers, frail believers, weak believers, they say, well, if Mitchell can do it or whatever your name is, if he can do it, I can do it. No, friend, Never mind what other believers do, what what does God want you to do? Do you ever realize what it means to the Church of Christ, the local church, when you and I as Christians sin, we affect the testimony of the church? We not only affect other believers, but we affect the testimony of the church. We affect its ministry. Why, you say, what I do doesn't affect my church. I, can, I sit there and go to church and it doesn't affect my church when I sin. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. When you are out of fellowship with God, you affect the whole meeting. You affect the testimony of your church. I'm not going to go to that fellow's church. If that's the kind of people that go to that church, I don't want none of it. No, sir, I'm not going to go to that church. Your testimony is affected. What about yourself when you are sin, when your fellowship with God is broken? Well, of course, you lose your joy, joy goes out the window. Your fellowship with Christ is broken. Your usefulness for God is affected. Listen, you can know doctrine from cover to cover. You can know the Bible from cover to cover. You can be a, a preacher. You can be a Sunday school teacher. I don't care what you are in your ministry. But if your fellowship with God is broken, it'll affect all your ministry. And don't blame anybody else. Don't blame the congregation if you're a preacher. Don't blame your class if you're a Sunday school teacher. Blame yourself. You and I can't afford to walk out of fellowship with God. I'm going to be blunt about that. I can't afford it, and you can't afford it. We lose our joy and blessing. We affect our usefulness. Our fellowship with the Savior is broken. Do you ever stop to think that when you and I sin as believers, how it affects the Lord? You know, I like dear Peter in Luke 22. I read, And the Lord turned and looked on Peter. What had Peter done? Peter had denied his Lord with all sin curses. I don't even know the man. I don't even know what you're talking about. This is Peter denying his Lord with all sin curses. And I read, and the Lord turned and looked on Peter. And whatever Peter saw, I don't know what he saw. I may guess about it, but whatever Peter saw, he went out and he wept brokenheartedly. You know, friend, I believe that when we, as God's people, sin, we grieve him. Our our failure to live before God, our sinning as Christians, mark you, doesn't affect his wonderful grace, doesn't affect his marvelous, precious love for us. It's the amazing thing, isn't it? When you and I fail, it doesn't affect his love, doesn't affect his affection and devotion for us but it does break our fellowship with him. I believe it grieves the heart of the Lord, even though he knows our frailty. Nevertheless, it must grieve his heart when we as Christians sin. You say, well, Mr. Mitchell, what in the world shall I do? I've sinned. I've been out of fellowship with God for years or for months or for days, whatever it may be. What shall I do? Now remember, God, God has made provision to prevent you sinning. And he's made provision, when you do sin, to be cleansed. And I don't want to leave you there. I want to suggest this. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you mean business with the Lord... And again, I say, let's be real about this. Not just like waving a wand, you know, I, I, I hear this verse in First John 1, 9, quoted sometimes, and it's quoted so glibly, while well, I've sinned, all I need to do is to confess my sin and the Lord will forgive me. I wonder, are you real in your confession? John says, we are dealing with a righteous God. We are dealing with a holy God as well as a loving God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if I'm talking to you today, my Christian friend, and you're out of fellowship with God, may I plead with your heart, come on to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4, 16, Let us come with boldness to the throne of grace and there obtain mercy and find grace to help in every time of need. Isn't it wonderful that you and I can come right at any second, any second of the day, bow before Him? I'm talking about those who mean business, and, and speak to the Lord Jesus, confess your sin, name the thing. Don't just say, Lord, I've sinned against you. Name the thing you've done. I know it may not sound very good, but you name the thing you've done, and Jesus will forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he does this on the ground, not only that he is love, but on the ground of his righteousness. we will be taking this up in our next lesson, but I want this very clearly understood. That God has made provision full provision for you and for me to live daily in fellowship with him, a life of walking in the Spirit, a life that is Spirit-filled, a life of intimate fellowship with God. Make him today, if you've never done it before, Christian friend, make him today the very object of your affection and love and devotion. And if I'm talking to any of the today, who are not Christians. You have never accepted Christ as Savior. May I plead with your heart, God has made provision for you to become a Christian. He's made a provision for you to become a child of God. Christ died for you to put away your sin. He wants you to accept him as your Savior. And it's by grace we're saved through faith, not by any works, But according to his mercy he will save us oh i plead with your heart to stop your deadly doing and just trust jesus as your savior and then immediately immediately start to walk with god in the light of his word and enjoy a life a spirit-filled life where god will live out his life through you and then through me this is what god wants and may this be your portion today
3: Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art! How great thou art! When Christ shall come.